Hello, my name is Ari Redboard. Welcome to TRM Talks. TRM Talks is brought to you by TRM Labs, the leading provider of blockchain intelligence and anti-money laundering software. We have a very special TRM Talks investigations for you today uh, with Jennifer Vanderveer of TRM Labs and uh, really kind of excited to dig in. As you know, we've sort of started to do these TRM investigate TRM Talks investigations to really dig into sort of the latest typologies and and the and the latest ways to mitigate the the, the risks and challenges uh, in the crypto ecosystem. So really particularly excited for this today. Uh, before we get going, please uh, put questions in the chat. Uh, this will be a little different format. You'll be hearing less from me and more from Jennifer, which I know you are very excited about. She's going to really walk through with you. Uh, the way sort of we do this and the way we use tools uh, to trace uh, through uh, across bridges and, and blockchains. Um, and, and really excited for that. Um, we are going to put our next uh, TRM talks uh, right here in, in the chat for you. Uh, so please sign up. Very, very cool. TRM talks, investigations, incident response. We're going to take you into the war room uh, for a table type exercise on how we respond uh, to, to a hack or to a ransomware attack or an exploit. So uh, really get ready for that. That's going to be December 12th. Uh, we're going to have DOJ on there, along with a number of other uh, really true subject matter experts. Uh, subscribe to the weekly roundup, also in the handouts tab. And uh, without further ado, uh, we are going to rock and roll. Uh, Jennifer, before we really dig in and 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 start getting in here, would you uh, just uh, sort of just briefly, uh, you know, provide your background so folks know who they're hearing from? Sure, of course. Uh, and thank you for having me on again, Ari. It's always nice to, to be back on TRM Talks. Super and, uh, excited. I feel like the pressure is on for this being one of the investigation ones. So hopefully uh, hopefully we get some good information across. Uh, so I handle product strategy at TRM Labs. I've been here for about a year. Uh, and my job is to help build a lot of the investigative insights into the tools that we use to help people trace crypto on blockchains. Uh, but prior to coming to TRM Labs a year ago, I spent 14 years as a special agent with the FBI. And I specialized in, in cyber matters, especially cryptocurrency. And I was on the virtual currency response team as one, and was one of the subject matter experts in cryptocurrency investigations for the FBI. So I did a lot of investigations into large exchange hacks, national security cases, and some of the more significant crypto cases that we were handling at the Bureau. Yeah, no, I, I think you were really uniquely, this is why I was so excited about, about this and, and about you, you really uniquely situated to talk about these issues having really been one of the, the first um, to do this. And, and I, th I think it's also fair to say that you, you your job at TRM is to ensure that you are building the best tool or we're building the best tool for our law enforcement partners. And I think folks will see much of that today in your presentation. Um, so yeah, without without further ado, let's kind of dive in, um, dive into the substance here. Um, and I'll uh, I'll uh, pull up our our PowerPoint. Um, look, I think uh, over the last really year or or a couple of years, we've seen everyone from you know cyber criminals to nation state actors like North Korea attack cryptocurrency businesses and decentralized finance, more specifically DeFi, at really alarming speed and scale. We're already seeing 3.7 billion a record year for hacks in 2022. And we're seeing, as, as I said, the DeFi ecosystem uh, really attacked in, in unprecedented ways. And there are a number of reasons for that. And I know you'll dig into that um, in a moment. Um, and really where we've seen a lot of this activity is on bridges. And um, that's because, you know, frankly, there's a lot of, of money on bridges. 
uh, as people are moving funds across blockchains. And um, I know you're going to talk about uh, about that in, in a moment, but there has been so much focus on sort of the bridge ecosystem, uh, particularly in the wake of the uh, attack on the Ronin bridge, which is part of sort of the, the, the play to earn game Axie Infinity, uh, North Korea cyber criminals stealing, you know, around 600 or $625 million. Uh, and I think that really had a lot of us starting to, to say, hey, what is the deal with bridges? Um, you know, why do they exist? What role do they play? And then really, why are they being attacked? So uh, I know that that's a lot of questions and that's what we're talking about today. But if you can sort of dig in for us on really, um, you know, what what is this bridge ecosystem that that we're talking about here? And I will now let you drive, uh, drive as well here, Jennifer. Yeah. So I think that's the right place to start, right? Because if we want to start talking about bridges, I think it's important that everybody really understand what is a bridge or or even more importantly, why do we even have bridges? So if you think about why there are bridges on roads, it's because you understand that there are rivers and ditches. So let's trans this over, translate this over to the crypto space. Why do we have bridges in the crypto space? And the reason is it's a multi-chain space. So the cryptocurrency ecosystem is an entire network of blockchains. It's not just one blockchain. You know, early on, there was just Bitcoin and everybody transacted on a single blockchain. And then, the, then Ethereum appeared and people transacted on Ethereum. But now we have hundreds, if not thousands of blockchains that make up this, this ecosystem in the crypto space. And the other thing to realize about each of these single blockchains is that they're all a closed architecture. So if you understand the nature of how blockchain works, each blockchain has its own ledger, which is the history of all transactions that have ever occurred on that blockchain. And that ledger only contains the transactions on that single blockchain, which means that you don't under you can't get any visibility into what happens on the on the Ethereum blockchain on the Bitcoin ledger and vice versa. So because these are completely closed systems and only have records for their own blockchain, they're not not to communicate with each other and they're also not designed to be able to, to transact across each other. So that is kind of where we where bridges come in, right? You need to be able to create a system where you can transact across these closed sets of blockchains. And, and one thing that's really interesting is like it's just the historic perspective, right? Like, you know, we all started doing this, you in particular, in a Bitcoin only world, right? Bitcoin was synonymous, you have the asset, you have the blockchain. It was really synonymous with cryptocurrency. And really what we've seen over the last number of years is this proliferation of blockchains and and different assets. And I think that sort of one, one, one of the reasons that, you know, what really TRM was built in this sort of multi-asset, multi-chain world to ensure that we have sort of that full visibility, um, which I know we're going to get get into a moment today, but it's really just so interesting to see that space evolve from the sort of Bitcoin only world where you now have to cover, you know, you just showed any number of blockchains. I know at TRM, we cover about 27 today and counting, I think, and about a million different assets. Um, but, but this is something that, you know, continues to evolve, but just amazing to see this go from Bitcoin only to really so much of what we have today in the ecosystem. Yeah, and that's actually true, Ari. The, uh, the way we do investigations has changed. I remember that it was kind of a big deal to see the, the, the very simplistic typology of deposit, withdraw, no trade, which, was, which happened on Bitcoin. Uh, an actor would just move their funds into a service and then move them out again without transacting within the service. And that was a way of getting their, their to break the ledger of Bitcoin itself because they weren't going to move to another blockchain. They were just going to hop in and out of services on Bitcoin. And that was laundering back in the day. And people still do that a bit now, but it, but it's so much different now that we have more blockchains to work with. Really interesting. So now we're in this. So now we're faced 
with this need to create this new financial infrastructure, right? We, I, I believe deeply, and I think many of the people watching this probably believe that, that cryptocurrency as a technology is going to be transformative in our financial system. But in order for that to be really effective, blockchains need to be able to talk to each other because we're not going to have just a single blockchain, or at least it doesn't appear that way. And so these systems need to be interoperable, meaning that you have to be able to transfer funds across them from one to another so that they all, can all work together as one giant network. And that's where these cross-chain services start coming in. They've existed for a long time. It's not, it's not a new concept of moving funds from one block to a, to another. But the emergence of bridges has kind of evolved in, in the way that they can function. So exchanges, if you deposit funds into an exchange for on Bitcoin, you can withdraw them on Ethereum. And you can do that and you can do something similar with an OTC trader, trader or a peer-to-peer trader. And these types of services have existed for a long time on blockchains. But they're not fast and they're not designed exclusively to transfer funds across blockchains. So it's not a one a push one button and get your funds across. That's what bridges are. They're designed exclusively to allow for rapid swaps of funds across blockchains without having to create accounts and without having all these other, other sorts of features built into them. And so as I just said, bridges, their exclusive purpose is, purpose is to transfer value and information across blockchains. They don't do anything else but connect this, these blockchains to each other so that now the ledgers from one blockchain can transfer value across to the ledger on another blockchain. And when you start to think about bridges, they really come in all different types of shapes and sizes. There's no, there's no hard and fast rule of classification, but generally these types of bridges fall into two topologies. One is a, a centralized bridge or a trusted bridge where you deposit your funds into the bridge and a central entity takes kind of custody of the assets. And then there are trustless bridges, which tend to be more in the DeFi space where smart contracts are designed to allow you to, to allow the bridges to function and they, they swap in a more automatic way. We're mostly going to be looking when I go through some details on these sort of trustless bridges enabled by smart contracts in the DeFi space. This is really sort of getting to, and I'd love to hear sort of your thoughts on this, but this is really getting to sort of why, you know, the, the use of bridges and maybe why they've also become targets from from illicit actors. And we'll sort of get into that in a moment. But but maybe as you as you sort of just look at these numbers quickly, um, why are people using bridges, right? Like, I get that you're moving funds across blockchains, and that makes perfect sense. But like, there are also sort of specific reasons. Would you, would you get into to those? Why people are using blockchains? Uh, sorry, why people are using bridges to, to actually transfer funds across blockchains? Like, why do you need to do that? Why do you why do you want to do that? It's just faster. I mean, I could create an account in an exchange. And I so I would sign up with my KYC and I would I could create an account and then I could deposit funds from one one blockchain into the bridge. And then I could conduct a trade on the tr on the exchange and then withdraw my funds on another blockchain. And, and I could do or I could go online and I could find a peer to peer service online and, and trade with someone. But it's a lot more cumbersome. It's a slower process. If all I really want to do is transfer from one blockchain to another, a bridge is the fastest and the most efficient way of doing that. And why do you want to transfer funds across a bridge? Why do you want to move them from blockchain to blockchain? I mean, there could be a variety of reasons. We'll actually go into a, 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 some of those um, in more cool. detail later with, with a lot of the, the different pieces. But but I mean, if you want to access the, the all of the features of, of, of crypto, you know, you may want to be moving from a, from one blockchain to a different one and be able to ask, access different different services, different types of coins. And, you know, there's all sorts of different things that the blockchains are designed to do. So what, what we're looking at here is a graph of the total value uh, that is locked in Ethereum bridges over time. Um, and this is really interesting, right? Because you think of a bridge and you think, well, why does it have value, right? It just moves funds from one side to another. It doesn't need to have value. But this gets into sort of how bridges work. The reality is in order for bridges to function in this space, they actually have a lot of cryptocurrency locked up in them. 
And if you look here at the peak, which is late 2021 and January 2022 of all these funds locked up in the Ethereum bridges, it peaked at over $25 billion sitting in bridges, just sitting there. And that um, that is a lot of money just sitting on blockchains in these vaults to enable bridges to function. And another interesting thing to see in this graph is that the top purple um, section is the Ronin Bridge. And you see in early to in, in springtime of 2022, there is a, a, a there's a harsh drop off there. And that is actually the Ronin Bridge being hacked. You can see the funds drop off drastically right on this chart. Uh, and you see over time, there's a trend that the, the value in bridges are dropping. But I think something to also realize about what's happening here is that, is that Ethereum has dropped since uh, the spring of 2022, about 70%. So there's not actually any less funds locked up in bridges. We're just seeing the effects of, of the decline in the market here. But, but bridges are still very popular and there's still a significant percentage of, of the funding in the, in the crypto ecosystem locked up in the vaults that enable the bridges. So why? Why does this happen? Right. I said this is critical to how bridges function. But what does that mean? Because it's still it's, it's still not necessarily intuitive that you have to have money sitting in the bridge in order to be able to have the bridge operate. I think the way it, it's not an easy thing to explain, but uh, I think the way you have to kind of understand it is that uh, let's say that you have a bank, Harry, and I have a bank and we both are part of the same company. But you're on one side of the river and I'm on the other side of the river. So all the people in your bank on one side who want to transact with you. They have to get money from you, right? Because they can't get money from me because I'm on the other side of the river with my with my bank. But we own or we're the we both bank with the same business. So if my friend wants to send send money to to his friend on your side, he would give me money and say, okay, I've deposited in TRM bank, Jennifer, over here, and you put it, I put it in my vault. And then I yell across the river to you, Harry, hey, okay, ten dollars was just put in over here. So will you please, when you're, when, when this guy's friend comes to the other side of the river, will you please give him $10 and you're going to take $10 out of your vault on your side of the river and hand it to the guy when he shows up because we're part of the same organization. But the two, but the, that, that $10 never actually crossed the chain. It was just a transfer of value by me screaming across the river saying someone deposited in and you can withdraw out. So what we're, so what I'm showing on this chart here on the screen is this exactly the same thing. You have Bitcoin on the left. And you have a vault. When someone wants to transfer funds over from Bitcoin to Ethereum, they deposit they deposit funds into the vault on the Bitcoin blockchain, and then an equivalent amount of value is removed from another vault on the Ethereum blockchain. So these vaults have to be have to be filled with funds to be able to enable these swaps, which is why the funds get stored there so that they can enable the swaps back and forth. That's probably the best explanation of why there's so much money on bridges that I that I have heard. Uh, thank thank you for that. It's uh, it's it's like I said, it's not intuitive, but a lot. Of, but if people are swapping fast, you you always need the bridges to have liquidity, and so they get they get a lot. All those funds are in liquidity pools. So there are a couple of different typologies that we're that we're seeing in terms of people moving funds. And again, we'll get to sort of the exploits in a moment. But really, would you just walk us through sort of the way so some of the way people are moving funds across bridges? Yeah, there's some basic mechanisms. There's this idea of locking, and locking is when you put funds into a liquidity pool or into a vault. And there's a, and then there's an also, also an idea of minting and minting is when you create new tokens out of the genesis address in a blockchain. So uh, one of the common formats is lock and mint, where you lock funds in the vault on one side and then mint new funds on the other side of equivalent value on the, on the receiving chain. There's a burn and mint where where instead of locking the funds, you actually destroy the tokens on one chain and then mint new tokens on the other chain. And then there's 
something that's a little bit uh, less like that style, which is an atomic swap, which is a trustless method where you use a, a and you remove the third party and you have a trustless system of exchange. And we're not going to go too much into at atomic swaps, but I just want to mention that there is that third mechanism out there of, of, of how funds might move in bridges. Terrific. Um, yeah, let's dig in. All right. So Renbridge, this is a popular one that m many people who are in the, in, the, um, in the bridging world are certainly familiar with. Uh, this is an example of funds moving across Renbridge. Uh, and so on the left, you'll see the Ethereum blockchain. On the right, you see the Bitcoin blockchain. And uh, you see on the lower left corner, there is an arrow starting to moving about 400 Ren BTC into this, that second address. And that is the deposit of Ren BTC into the Ren bridge. Now, why am I talking about Ren BTC? What is this Ren BTC? You also have to realize that in order for a lot of these bridges to work, they have to wrap a token. So it's not easy to mitigate the volatility of exchange rates, which are fluctuating constantly. You know, that's why arbitrage is able to exist on the blockchain. So, we, so if you want to say, I'm going to deposit a certain amount of Ethereum into, the, into a, a bridge on one side and get out a certain amount of Bitcoin on the other side, how are you exactly going to make sure that, that you don't see a market fluctuation at the same time? So the way that you, you eliminate that is you say, okay, I'm going to have the value of one Bitcoin on one side. So I'm going to create an ERC-20 token that wraps Ethereum. So it's REN BTC and it's worth exactly one, one Bitcoin. So in the, in the course of that swap happening, there's going to be no shift because we're saying on one side, we have Ethereum in an ERC-20 token that is the value of one Bitcoin. On the other side, we're going to actually give you Bitcoin. So you've already converted your money into REN BTC so that there's not going to be an exchange rate issue. And now you deposit it into the bridge. What that bridge is doing is it's burning. So it's so you'll see there's a the about 400 of that or most of that goes into the Genesis address, which is the address where the tokens actually just get destroyed forever. They don't exist anymore. And then you see two other two other transfers there, which is just fees for using the bridge. So we've deposited our 430 something REN BTC into the bridge. Most of that goes gets burned, and then there's some fees that come out. That purple line is the the cross chain swap. So that's our TRM tool showing you that. That, that those funds actually have now that value has moved over to Bitcoin. And on the other side of the bridge, REN project, which is which is the, the part of the bridge itself, it releases, it has its vault, it releases an equivalent amount of Bitcoin from the vault and transfers it to my wallet on the other side. So now I've got about 400 or something BTC on the Bitcoin blockchain because I because I moved it across the bridge. And similarly, there's a lock and mint, which is almost that same type of transaction in, in reverse. So here we have funds moving from uh, Ethereum over to the Avalanche blockchain across Avalanche Bridge, which is another popular bridge service. In this case, we're mitigating the, the, the exchange rate because we're using USDC, which is a, which is a stable coin. So USDC can, can exist on both Ethereum and on Avalanche. So... We don't have to have any wrapped coins. We're, we're going to use USDC on both sides. I'm going to deposit my 240 Ethereum directly into the Avalanche Bridge. That is going to get locked in. So that's just sitting in the vault for, for liquidity for other swaps later on for someone else to use. On the Avalanche use side, you see the Genesis address. They mint new USDC. So new USDC got created. Some fee goes to Avalanche. And then the rest of it, the, about 240 USDC you know, minus that fee, goes straight to my wallet. So it so we locked it on one side and we minted new USDC on the other side on the Avalanche side. So that's a lock and mint. 
Fantastic. Um, moving on from, um, you know, obviously these are the techniques that people use to move funds across chains. Obviously, sort of as I mentioned in the, in the intro or the beginning, uh, we've really seen an unprecedented amount of activity of illicit actors who are attacking bridges, uh, particularly in the North Korea context. Um, and, and there are, are a bunch of questions sort of in, in the chat, sort of moving on to the exploit piece to this as well. Uh, let, let's dig in there, right? Would you talk a little bit about the typologies you're seeing in terms of uh, illicit actors who are attacking bridges? Uh, you know, on the one hand, we have, um, obviously, we're seeing a lot of volume on bridges, kind of given that, that what you explained, obviously, wherever there's a lot of money, you're always going to see a lot of, you're going to see a lot of illicit activity or illicit actors going after those funds. Um, and, and maybe if you can provide sort of an, a couple other reasons as well as you dig in as to why bridges, uh, you know, have specific vulnerabilities or why bridges are being targeted beyond just the fact that there's a, a lot of funds sitting on them. I mean, it's primarily because there's a lot of funds, right? Yep. I, I could spend uh, a week trying to hack 10 different targets to get a billion dollars, or I could just attack one target to get a billion dollars. And it's just, just more efficient to attack the places with the most money. So don't attack the ACMs, go for the bank. Um, so here's an example. So you mentioned a few times, but Ronin Bridge, right? This was the largest bridge hack we've seen so far. Even $600 million, we haven't surpassed it with the, the dozen or so hacks since then, or maybe six or seven hacks since then. Um, so $600 million stolen from Ronin Bridge in March of this year. This particular bridge was hacked by a private key comp compromise, which is actually not the most popular uh, method of targeting a bridge. But, you know, each each bridge is controlled. Well, the, the addresses on the bridge are controlled by the keys, just like the rest of the blockchain works. And in so the case talk, of Ronin, talk, I'm sorry, I think you're going there, but talk us through yeah. that, right? Like, so, because I do think that is part of this, right? The security or lack thereof of some of these these bridges. And there is a, a good question around sort of like, are bridges any uh, any less or more secure than native tokens being staked? W walk us through like sort of what was the private key compromise here? And then what are other ways in which we're seeing compromises in sort of the bridge ecosystem? Yeah. So um, bridges are being targeted in a few ways, ways right? Um, you can target the the contract itself, which is the, the code that controls the bridge. So in the DeFi space, Every, everything is automated by the smart contract. So you can attack. So if that contract has a vulnerability and an attacker can find the vulnerability in the code, then they could exploit that and potentially force the bridge to release some of the funds. Um, you can target the keys. In this case, actually the keys that run the bridge. So owners can can control the bridge by having having access to the keys. In this case, Ronin Bridge had nine keys, so they needed a, a majority of keys in order to be able to execute execute certain types of transactions on the bridge. The attackers were actually able to get a hold of five of those nine keys, so they so they just took the money. It was like getting the keys to the vault. They just took the money out of the bridge because they had valid access because they had compromised those keys. Uh, and then there's a there's a, a third way that we're seeing these hacks occur, and that's just attacking the infrastructure. So it's a, a traditional cyber type attack where you're targeting the infrastructure around the bridge and trying to do things like create phishing web pages or other things to to create vulnerabilities in the in the um, in the bridge. So uh, if you look at the attacks in 2022, there's there's been a, do a dozen of them, a dozen major ones anyway, and of those, the majority of both the number and of in volume have been smart contract exploits. So it really seems to be most effective for the attackers these days to just find vulnerabilities in these smart contracts that are running the bridges. Uh, the second most popular is a private key compromise. So compromise, so stealing the keys to the bridge itself. And then third are these less common infrastructure attacks where they're actually using a, a traditional cyber mechanism to target 
to target sort of the 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 things that are around the bridge that are that it's running on, like DNS or something we're, like that. We're, we're, we're going to dig into sort of the way we trace and track, right? Because that's sort of the nature of what we do at TRM. But sort of just before we get there, um, is it is it fair to say that that this starts with really hardening cyber defenses? It seems like all three of these different typologies all actually involve ways we yeah. could potentially harden cyber from a you know you, you know improve the 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 code. Um, infrastructure attack, that's like classic North Korea, right? Uh, sort of uh, social engineering type attacks, phishing scams, those types of things. And then obviously private key compromise more in line with the contract exploit, right? Where uh, we could sort of improve security around access to keys. Is that is that right? Or am I missing a piece of this? No, that's correct. It's, it's, this, it's the same methodology as, as traditional cybersecurity. You know, you want to make sure your code is secure and then you have the layers of the onion on top of that. So you, you protect your code. You have to deal with the human factor and make sure you're protecting against phishing. You want to be protecting the infrastructure and the systems that you're putting and building your bridge on and you're hosting your websites on and all the mechanisms around the bridge because most people are not accessing the raw ledgers of the blockchain. They're actually using wallets to connect to it. They're using browsers. So all of these layers have to be protected in order to make sure that the bridge is going to operate securely. And, and one, one quick question that just comes directly from the chat. And I'm trying to sort of answer as, the, as they come through. There's some good ones. Um, when, when the question is, is who decides which bridge you use, essentially? And it's fair to say that you're, 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 you're choosing which bridges to move your funds across from blockchain to blockchain. And Ronan yeah. is an example where the user essentially wants to move their funds from Ethereum to the Ronin blockchain because of fees and different things that are relevant, sort of the, the context of Axie Infinity. But there's all kinds of other reasons you'd want to move uh, move funds across blockchains, but you're ultimately the decision maker, right? The the the, the user. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the general answer is absolutely. You're choosing which service you want to use. There are some, there are multiple services that will connect some blockchains and you pick which one that you want to use and, and move your funds. Uh, the, there may be a slight exception. There are some like one inch type uh, services out there, which is which an aggregate, a DeFi aggregator. And there are also bridge aggregators that will, you can use their service and they'll pick the cheapest bridge for you. But those are rare, much, much more rare. And the reality is most people are using just a bridge. They pick a bridge and they move across it. Terrific. Really helpful. So uh, another example of one of the, the hacks, one of the, one of the larger hacks this year was the wormhole attack. And this was one of those traditional uh, contract exploits. Worm, the wormhole was attacked for 32 million at the beginning of the year. Uh, most of the fun the funds were stolen on the Solana blockchain, and then they were bridged over to the Ethereum blockchain. But this was a, just a traditional hack uh, of a compromise of the the contract that ran the bridge itself. They were able to forge some of the messages and force the bridge to spit out money when it shouldn't have. It's one thing to attack these bridges because they're very enticing, but uh, my gut tells me, and and, and I, I think if we were to actually be able to run the numbers, which would be challenging, uh, we'd find that that illicit actors are actually using bridges more than they're attacking bridges. So even though uh, bridges make a very, very enticing uh, target, the, the reality is there is probably more illicit funds moving across them than being stolen out of them. Uh, that's, that's inc it's incredibly helpful context, I think. And when you think about these issues, you know, I, I we hear about all the time, you know, regulators globally are doing risk assessments. And whenever I sort of, uh, whenever we have an opportunity to chime in, it's always like, hey, let's discuss the risk and the challenges here, but also sort of what is the risk mitigation around this? You know, and I think uh, I'm excited what you're, uh, you know, what we're going to talk about here because I think a lot of it is, all right, here are the risks, but here are also sort of the way that sophisticated tools can uh, to mitigate some of those risks. So let's 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 definitely hit hit both here as we talk through this. Um, but but I think I I think what, what we're hearing from the beginning is, you know, we're we're living in a cross chain world. 
um, this multi-chain world where bridges connect this ecosystem together, uh, blockchains together, um, you need to be able to trace and track funds across uh, to stop illicit actors, to make money laundering harder, to eventually potentially uh, you know, stop and seize back funds. Um, so yeah, excited to hear kind of what we're seeing in, in this, uh, you know, cross chain world. Yeah. So, so regular people are using bridges, but the illicit actors are also using bridges. And so the question is, why are they doing this? And, and it may seem, ob seem obvious, but there, there are some categories we can put these reasons into. And the first is it's just, it's just better money laundering, right? Like have we talked earlier about the deposit withdraw, no trade that we, that you used to see all the time on Bitcoin as a way of, of breaking the blockchain ledger so that you, so you didn't have a, a consistent ledger of funds that could be tracked across the blockchain. Well, it's even better to break a ledger by moving from one blockchain to another, moving across many blockchains. So anytime you can break that 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 consistent record and create some some hops, um, you're adding another layer of complexity to your money laundering process. So bad actors use bridges just as part of their laundering. They also use it um, use bridges to be able to get to other blockchains so that they can break that ledger by accessing blockchains that have other features, such as privacy. So I have an example here. Um, poor Thorchain last summer was hit by a variety of attacks um, that led to a loss of $13 million um, as they, they started up their, their cross-chain service. And in one of the second attacks, or I think it was the second attack, it might have been the third, but in June of last year, uh, they lost a, about a quarter of a million dollars. And, uh, and you can see on the left, the Thorchain router. This is me tracing out those funds. And then, and there are some transactions coming out of this wallet, and those are the thefts, and to the series of red addresses, which are attacker wallets. So the attackers remove funds from Thorchain, put it in wallets, and then you see a small amount of funds go to that blue dot. And that blue dot is the secret network bridge. And the secret network is an interesting uh, blockchain because it has some privacy features built into it. So there's some encryption built into that blockchain. So in this case, the attackers moved funds off of the Ethereum blockchain, and they moved a small amount of that into secret. And once they were in secret, they were able to move funds in an encrypted fashion using the privacy features, which makes it significantly harder to trace. So that's one of the reasons why one might use that bridge is to get over the secret network. They could even just pop right back out again, but because there's some privacy in there, it makes it more challenging for investigators to follow that trail. Yeah, let's 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 dig into this one. I think this is a really interesting one, sort of this idea of stablecoin access, right? Um, for all the reasons we all love stablecoins, uh, you know, stability in a volatile market, uh, e easier to transfer, to use. Uh, illicit actors are, are very much doing the same, right? Sort of wanting to convert funds into stable coins as quickly as possible. How, how do bridges enable that? Yeah, so you nailed it right there, right? Like you, when you look at the markets right now, if, you, if you've stolen, you know, a million dollars worth of funds and you think it's going to take you three or four months or even a year to effectively launder that fund so you get to a point of cash out. With the markets right now, potentially you could be have $2 million by the end or potentially you could have $100,000 by the yeah, end. Not, not to be flipped, but it cuts both ways too. I was, thinking that, I was thinking the other day about the 4 billion or the 3.6 billion um, seized in the Bifinex case. Well, it's worth less than half of what it was. Uh, you know, although, although when it was seized, yeah. it was worth a lot more than it was when it was stolen. <laughs> well, exactly right. It wasn't the seven million that was stolen, but yeah, really, just super interesting dynamic the way yeah. the market plays into all of this. Yeah. So, so illicit actors are incredibly aware of this as well, and so if they want to try to make sure that the funds that they are working very hard to steal out of these bridges or from other places uh, don't don't fall victim to some of these market fluctuations, they want to move into stablecoin as well. It, it helps uh, ensure that that they're not going to lose a lot of money. Uh, so 
we're seeing some some interesting patterns then. So this is an example. I just took a look at um, at Tether because Tether is one of the more popular stable coins that you, we see being used. And this is Tether. Uh, the, this this graph represents all of the blockchains that, that Tether rides on, or at least the most popular blockchains that, that Tether can exist on. And these are the transaction fees for moving those moving funds on those blockchains. So the yellow is Bitcoin. You see Bitcoin, the Bitcoin transaction fees, they've gone up and down. But they're significantly more than the fees on any of the other blockchains. Uh, the second most is Ethereum, and uh, it's still considerably less than Bitcoin. And then Tron, Celo, and, and Binance Smart Chain they're all so negligible that you can't even see them at all on the graph. They're on there, but the fee to move Tether, the transaction fees to move Tether on those, those blockchains is, is almost nothing in comparison. So if you take a look towards the, toward the right-hand side of the graph, as you get into to mid-2020, you see three humps. And I want to just, just call your attention to that because this here is the volume of Tether on these blockchains. And uh, you see that... For early on, when it was really just on Bitcoin, all of the volume of Tether existed on Bitcoin. And then as the Bitcoin fees started going up, the transaction fees started going up, the, the, the volume of Tether started to shift over into Ethereum to a point where most Tether was on Ethereum. And then remember those three bumps that you can see very similar three bumps appearing on, on Tron. And as those, those Ethereum transaction fees spiked, we saw spikes in the amount of volume of tether on tron which means that the market was reacting directly to the, the the transaction fee increases on that blockchain and moving their stable coins over to tron and why that matters a lot for illicit actors is because when you are laundering funds you don't move them once you don't move them twice you move it many 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 times and every time you move those funds you are incurring more transaction fees so you're losing a little bit of what you stole it so if you're going to move your funds a hundred times to do a complex laundering pattern you don't want to be paying a large percentage of in fees. So we're, we're seeing this trend of illicit funds moving over to Tether on Tron, and it seems to be directly related to these transaction fees. Just incredibly well said. And just to highlight the point, I mean, we're seeing illicit actors sort of do things that any of us would do if we're moving funds on chain, right? Like trying to keep our expensive down, the, the fees down. And I think this issue of sort of Tether on Tron has become something very real because uh, it's a place people are moving funds for all the right reasons and 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 potentially the wrong reasons as well. I think it also highlights the real importance of being able to trace and track transactions to, uh, tether on Tron um, as well. If you're law enforcement or or a regulator today, um, you know, using tools like TRM, really, really, really interesting to see. You know, we all think of these as just pure obfuscation techniques, uh, the sort of cross chain moving funds, cross blockchain, sort of cross chain swaps. But really, there are other there are other sort of financial reasons as well. Yeah, and this I when I saw those three bumps, I was like, oh, it's not just because Tron is they think Tron can't be traced by by law enforcement. It's there's actually like a market force here in play as well. Really well said. Um, another reason why we see uh, actors moving from one chain to another is simply service availability, uh, especially with the with the most mostly downfall of Tornado Cash at this point, which was one of the only mixers that operated off of Bitcoin. Pretty much every mixer out there now that, that has any amount of uh, volume in it is on Bitcoin. So if you are an illicit actor and you- It's on Ethereum. To, I'm sorry to correct. It's on Ethereum. No, Tron, Tornado is on Ethereum, but all the other mixers are on Bitcoin. Perfect. Yep. Great. Yeah. Sorry if I said that backwards. Yeah. So Tornado Cash was on Ethereum. It was one of the only mixers not on Bitcoin. And just about every single other mixer out there 
is on Bitcoin. So if you're an illicit actor and you really want to use a mixing service, you're likely going to move your funds over to Bitcoin because that is where most of the mixers sit at this, this time, day and time. Um, but other services might be something that's appealing to you. There are there are maybe there are certain wallets that you use that only support particular coins, and so they might move to another to another blockchain to be able to access different wallets, or even just different exchanges that don't support one coin or another. They might move to a different blockchain to be able to access um, various on and off ramps. Um, they want to use payment processors or services. Uh, sometimes those are more accessible on Bitcoin or Ethereum than some of the the other blockchains. And the last reason is oftentimes just as valid as the others, even though it's harder to, to guess, which is just some some actors just prefer some blockchain. They're more comfortable with using it. They're more familiar with the functionality on it. And so they'll just move to a blockchain that they're that they're comfortable with, just like, you know, bad actors will continue to go to the same restaurants or bar that have their favorite haunts. And, you know, listed actors also have their favorite blockchains. So let's let's look. I mean, the, the issue of the day is the issue of the day. So let's uh, let's really dig in. I think one 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 really sort of cool thing in terms of our timing was um, we've obviously been following very closely what happened at FTX, but also sort of the, um, the, the what happened in terms of the funds moving recently. Um, can you talk a little bit about sort of the, 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 the FTX case and then also sort of the aspect involving bridges here? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I know I, I was looking for examples and it seemed like the example was staring me in the face. This is what everybody is interested in right now, right? Yeah. There have been unauthorized withdrawals from FTX Everybody's got their eyes on these funds. Everybody's trying to figure out where they're going, why they're. And it is, and it is, it is important to note that, like, we've seen a lot of reporting on this, obviously. Um, and I think you do a really good job of labeling this graph here: unauthorized withdrawals. Right, we're seeing three hundred plus million, and uh, but but at the same time, those unauthorized withdrawals were occurring. There were authorized withdrawals, and we have tried to essentially separate that. So we're just seeing the unauthorized activity here. Yeah, and having been on the other side of many investigations, I mean. People on the outside without the access that law enforcement has and without the direct interviews and, and information um, are always making some guesses that as, as best they can as to what is going on. But, you know, having reviewed this and, and starting with, you know, what we believe to be the unauthorized withdrawals, this is going to show you kind of what I'm seeing with some of these funds. But Terrific. in the end, it, it will be the, uh, the investigator and the, and the courts that know exactly what happened. Sure. So we're seeing over 300 million of un unauthorized withdrawals from FTX on a variety of blockchains. And the question is, are we seeing bridges? And the answer is, yep, we're seeing some bridges. We're actually seeing a lot of bridges. So in just looking at uh, the first few hops of funds and where they're going on the blockchains, I've counted at least seven bridges being involved in, uh, in the transfer of funds associated with these withdrawals. So that is a lot of bridges. This particular actor or group of actors is moving the funds frequently and moving it across chain a lot. And to dig a little deeper into one of them, just to give an example, um, so some of the funds that we're seeing on the unauthorized withdrawals are, were on the Solana blockchain. So you see on the left, you see FTX and you see a series of withdrawals that go to a wallet. And then those funds we've I've been able to see go into the wormhole bridge and then bridge over to the Ethereum blockchain. And uh, I had the benefit of using a tool like TRM where we have automated cross-chain swaps. That little purple, that little purple uh, diamond is able to show me exactly what the transaction, where the transaction went. It's very simple. It's great to have a tool like that. Uh, but it is also possible to trace through many of these bridges without that advanced tool. It just takes a little bit more work, a little more grit, and a little more creativity. So in the particular case of the wormhole bridge, if you were able to find the, the transfers going into the bridge, you can look down in the message logs and you find some of the sequence ID. 
And the sequence ID will allow you to use the worm, wormhole's own block explorer to find the withdrawal transaction. So that is sort of the, the, the long, you know, kind of do it by hand way of tracing some funds to the wormhole bridge to get to that the final address of where the funds are coming out. And not all bridges function the same. Some are going to be, some are going to give you clues like that that you can follow. Um, some won't. And so it really just depends on how the bridge is set up on this, as to how easy or even if it's possible to trace through it. And what in the world are, are we seeing here? Hey, before before we kind of dig into this, because this is, um, you know, a continuation of sort of the, the FTX piece, there, there are a couple of good questions in here that I thought are worth worth taking, especially in this context. You know, how do bridges compare uh, to sort of more centralized exchanges, if you will, in terms of their like, are they doing any compliance? Are you are you if you're law enforcement, are you able to get any information typically from bridges? Is there an AML KYC? sort of piece to all of this? Uh, you might have the answer as, as yeah. much as I do, because that's sort of the hot question of the day, right? And this is, the, Bridges operate in the DeFi space just like everybody else. Yep. So, and I think that's a big question mark right now in the DeFi space is, is what is their regulatory requirement to be able to exist in the compliance world? But generally speaking, to use a bridge, it's the same as using a DEX. So you don't have to provide any more information necessarily to use it, and it's going to have the same compliance requirements. Terrific. Yeah. And I think that answers a couple of questions here in the chat. And all that I would add to that is I think what we're really seeing in the regulatory space is every regulator globally, or at least the sort of the, the real key players uh, in the US and the UK and Singapore and Dubai, uh, in, in Abu Dhabi and really in the EU, certainly with, with Mika or Mika 2, which may be coming is how do we address DeFi? How should we be thinking about what does AML, what does KYC and compliance look like in a truly decentralized world? when we're not talking about sort of having these de having centralized intermediaries in the space. So we're seeing a risk assessment come from Treasury uh, early next year uh, on sort of DeFi challenges and risks. And I think a lot of these questions around KYC and AML in the DeFi space are, are going to be answered, or at least there's going to be attempt to answer a, a bunch of those. So it's a great question. So um, yeah, digging into this um, piece of modern art, I guess, um, what are we uh, what are we seeing here in, in TRM? Yeah, I'm very proud of this. I feel like it has a nice asymmetry yeah. to it. <laughs> um, so this is not the the entire uh, movement of funds. This is just a small section of of early swaps from Binance Smart Chain to Ethereum, and uh, it is it is deliberately pretty abstract because this is an ongoing investigation. So I, I just want to give a sense to our to the people that are that are watching and listening. Of, of how complex cases really can become now that we are in this multi-chain world. So we're not just looking at one, in a, in a case like this, you're not gonna see one swap. So you're, it's not like, oh, I'm just gonna do the do my little hand on paper wormhole trace once. You're gonna be doing this dozens and dozens of times. And that is the reality of crypto cases these days, especially in, in large uh, compromises or unauthorized withdrawals of a significant amount. The funds move a lot, they swap a lot, and it gets complicated really quickly. So on the left-hand side, all the way to the left, you see that little green dot, that is FTX. And that is a series of unauthorized withdrawals from FTX on Binance Smart Chain. And then there's a kind of arc of red dots, and those are additional wallets that those funds moved through. And each of those purple lines has a diamond in it, and that is a cross-chain swap. So that is, those are funds moving off of Binance Smart Chain, across chain over to the Ethereum Smart Chain. So each one is an individual swap, um, and there are many of them. And the, this particular graph is showing uh, three different bridge services, so three different services being used to do dozens of swaps to move the funds over from Binance Smart Chain over to those orange wallets on the right-hand side, which is what I believe to be 
the same actor or someone operating with the same actor receiving the funds on the other side and then continuing on with the process of, of moving these funds, which I'm not showing any further. I just wanted to demonstrate that that this is this is happening a lot in this particular investigation and, and this isn't unusual for investigations as a whole these days. Terrific. Thank you so much for this. Super timely and, and, and appreciate the sensitivity around this. Uh, and I actually see a question from Thomas in the chat that we probably should answer. No, Thomas, this is my own. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. I wasn't going there. I was, I'll let you handle that one. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, look, I, I think, you know, before we sort of just dig into a couple of these or just like leave leave folks with with um, with some takeaways, um, you know, when we're thinking about about the use of bridges versus a a decentralized exchange, right? Where 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 are people typically making that decision, or why are people typically making that decision? Using one or the other. Using one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. This this is actually connects right to a conversation I've had with some of our teams internally about how we even define the difference between a bridge and a decentralized exchange. And I don't know that you entirely can. I mean, we certainly had to draw a line because we needed to label one thing one or another. But arguably, a bridge is a type of decentralized exchange. It allows you to exchange funds from one blockchain to another. A decentralized exchange, a DEX, allows you to do that. But if you want to talk about how we, we drew the line internally at TRM just to put the category label, um, we're calling decentralized exchanges, exchanges that um, either exist on a single blockchain or also offer token swapping services um, in addition to cross-chain swapping services. But generally, this is just trying to put put edges on these boxes. But a, a bridge no, no, I, I get it. There's so much in this sort of yeah. space. And, um, yeah. And in fact, I think you just answered a ton of questions with that incredibly succinct response there. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I, I think that I, I, I just kind of taking a look at these takeaways, um, you know, where you started was so perfect and sort of really building to the exploit piece and really up to date in terms of what we're seeing, you know, in the last few days uh, in FTX. Um, we are seeing this proliferation of blockchains and we're needing to figure out how do we build this ecosystem where they're connected, where they can speak to themselves, uh, where they can speak to each other. And that's really where that comes in. But again, the same qualities that make crypto such a force for good, right? This ability to move funds quickly, uh, you know, across border at the speed of the internet to move around, to, to exchange, you know, certain crypto assets for stable coins, really create vulnerabilities around, you know, a lot of funds are being are being moved around quickly. And we're seeing these bridges exploited by illicit actors. I mean, um, where does this all go? Where 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 is this headed? Well, I mean, I I don't think we're going to have fewer blockchains anytime soon. So we're gonna there's going to be more blockchains. The more blockchains we have, there's gonna there's going to be more bridges. So more blockchains, more bridges, more funds moving for a very long time. I think. Which and 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 that's great. As blockchains become more connected, the the ecosystem itself becomes more robust and more resilient. But exactly as you said, you know, all these pathways and these connections that we build to help make make the ecosystem better for everybody can also be exploited by bad, bad actors or used by bad actors, just like infrastructure in any city or, or in any society. It's sure. Yeah. No, and, and, and there's a great question to kind of sum some of that up. And I'm not sure uh, I, it might be a question without an answer. But I think, um, look, I mean, I, I think that um, as the ecosystem grows, we're going to continue to have these discussions around privacy and security. And as we become more and more decentralized, uh, we're, we're, we're going to potentially have less information about, you know, people who are acting on blockchains. But at the same time, um, you know, we have more visibility on those financial flows uh, to at least try to stop illicit actors or trace and track um, the flow of funds. So just incredibly interesting moment as we do move into a more and more um, 
um, decentralized world. Jennifer, I am just incredible honor to have you on. I can't think of a better person to discuss really complex issues, but really made them, I think, really accessible um, to folks. So, so thank you so much uh, for for joining me today on on TRM Talks. Well, thanks so much for inviting me. I always enjoy chatting, Gary. Love it. And um, and, and and folks, please uh, turn it tune in December twelfth. Uh, for TRM Talks, Investigations, Incident Response, which I think should be another really sort of uh, firsthand uh, view into how we're thinking about incident the incident response space with partners like the Department of Justice um, and others. Subscribe to the weekly roundup uh, for all of your uh, weekly crypto uh, content. And, um, and and just thank you all for joining us. And thank you for, 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 for being partners in, in, in helping us build a safer financial system. 